وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد جزاك الله خير for participating in that and جزاك الله خير special جزاك الله خير دعاء for uh, Rahima for preparing that really incredible uh, kahoot we really enjoyed it may Allah bless you increase you in knowledge and accept from you I mean um, Alhamdulillah uh, this is the fifth uh, year that we've been running uh, the Faith Circle program. Uh, from humble beginnings, starting in the basement of Rochdale, alhamdulillah, with Nadir's help, alhamdulillah, uh, and uh, growing to what it is today, um, KMY with Karbi Mashid Youth, and then Soul Seed, and uh, alhamdulillah, getting the community support with it. The idea behind Faith Circle was always uh, trying to present Islamic knowledge in a way that's relevant, in a way that's empowering, in a way that's uh, inspiring, um, and also uh, with some depth as well. Uh, where a person can feel that they have a good understanding and a good grasp of uh, their deen. Uh, I want to spend uh, the next, inshallah, um, maybe 15, 20 minutes or so, uh, inshallah, talking about the idea of talibul ilm, the idea of seeking knowledge. Um, obviously, that's the whole point of Faith Circle. Uh, and the other elements that are there are there to support the main, you can say, uh, center or the core, which is the impartment of knowledge. And so when we do, alhamdulillah, the chai chats, which the brothers and sisters spend so much uh, time and effort uh, being able to provide for everyone, that's part of the ceremony, that's part of the idea of giving drink and giving um, you know, refreshment to people and students of knowledge who have come, taking out time on their Thursdays to come. And it's the idea of servicing them and the idea of providing that for them because they've just done such a noble thing. Um, and of course, the setup and everything like this, and the aids and the, this, the today the Kahoot quiz and all the activities that we do, it's all for that aim of learning Islamic knowledge. Now, I've been up here and in many different scenarios and situations talking about the virtues of seeking knowledge. And that's something that uh, is not uh, lost on any of you, I'm quite sure. And many of you have heard the hadith when it comes to seeking knowledge. What I really want to get at with this um, end class, inshallah, as we go on into the summer, uh, and we have two months where we're not going to have this weekly gathering where we come and we learn the deen together, uh, I want to impart a uh, motivation to continue learning. Also as well, some practical tips as well in this regard. So those are the two parts of this talk. One is the motivation, and the second is some of the actual practical like tips, especially as people who are in the West, who might not have as many of the resources available as a person who's, for example, immersed in a full-time study of Islam program, either abroad or part of a program, maybe online that they've invested in full-time, uh, uh, you know, in an, in an alam course of some sort. So those are the two aspects of this talk, inshallah ta'ala. The first part in terms of motivation. As I said, when it comes to the ahadith and the verses of the Qur'an that focus on the idea of studying Islamic knowledge, then these are things that all of you would have heard in many different occasions. The idea that the first ever command that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was iqra, literally read, gain knowledge. And it was actually two commands that came in the first revelation. Iqra bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq. That was the first command. And then iqra wa rabbuka akram And some of the scholars deduced from this the idea that there are two broad types of knowledges that we're meant to acquire in this life. One is, of course, the knowledge of revelation, the ayat and the signs of Allah, 
in the revelation that he reveals and the second is knowledge of the signs of Allah and signs of Allah the ayat that you see out in creation as well and so that's the first starting point of Islam literally the first starting point of Islam is the impartion of learning ilm and it's very interesting that this command came to a culture that was by and large uh, unlettered they were not people who read or wrote they were not a, a civilization that documented things, that taught knowledge in this particular way. But this one command completely changed and shifted this civilization and of course, as it spread forward uh, in history. Uh, and one of the amazing things about Islam as we saw in our history is that it's when Islam came to a culture, it imbued that culture with a love, a respect, a sacredness of knowledge, both the knowledge of the sacred sciences or the revelation sciences and knowledge of the natural world as well. And that's where you see all these things of the Muslim scientists, the ones who discovered algebra, so the ones who discovered many different things in the, in the, in the skies with astronomy, who discovered uh, or who, 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 who created textbooks in anatomy and medical textbooks like the Qanun uh, of Ibn Sina. Uh, that became a medical textbook up until literally 200 years ago, even in Europe, that's what they would study. This is clearly coming from a clear focus in the idea of knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge from the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet And so we know this about Iqra being the first uh, verse. We know the ahadith where the Prophet said that the one who teaches beneficial knowledge, everything in the world, Everything in the world, even, and this is in the hadith, even the ant in the ant hole, and even the fish in the depths of the ocean, they are all asking Allah to forgive the one who teaches beneficial knowledge to people. We know of the hadith that speak about the alim, the one who has knowledge is superior to the abid, to the worshiper, like the moon is completely outshines all of the stars in the night sky when there's a full moon. And so we see that there's such an emphasis placed here. <inaudible> that the ones who have the true khashya of Allah, the ones who have the true awe and fear of Allah, the ones who have that deep and intimate connection with Allah are the ulama, are the people who have knowledge. So you see ilm being elevated. In fact, in the Quran, there are multiple counts. There's one that's actually published um, from in a Malaysian journal. Over 700 times, the Quran praises the intellect. The Quran praises the aql and praises the pursuit of knowledge. Afala ta'qilun. Do you not think? Do you not reason? Reason. La'allakum ta'qilun. La'allakum tatafakkarun. So that you can reason. So that you can reflect. Afala yatadabbarun al-Quran. Do they not ponder deeply upon the Qur'an? These words that are used are multiple words. Tadabbur, tafakkur, tadakkur, ta'abbur. All of these different words, they all denote various critical analysis processes, cognitive processes of how a, in, a human being is meant to examine things deeply, examine revelation deeply, examine what they experience in their life deeply, and examine the natural signs as well, deeply as well. Muslims are meant to be people of deep thought, meant to be people of deep analysis, meant to be people who are incredibly rational, people who are able to found fields of knowledge before they were even founded before. 
And that's what you see, subhanAllah, to this day, the remnant of this fact is seen in the names that we have for fields of knowledge. And we all know all these little facts that everyone likes to say. Algebra comes from this uh, uh, the, the figure that's uh, named Al-Jabr. And um, uh, algorithm comes from Al-Khawarizmi and all these different thinkers and mathematicians and scientists and these sorts of things. So when it comes to the idea of seeking knowledge, the texts are there, the texts are clear, and they are numerous. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he actually wrote a book called Miftah Darus Sa'ada. Miftah Darus Sa'ada. The key to the abode of happiness. It's, a, it's available in two volumes, uh, in some in three volumes. He gives over a hundred different separate virtues of seeking knowledge, blessings of seeking knowledge, uh, reward for seeking knowledge, and various different angles. And he brings them forth, narrations and, and ayat and uh, and statements of the companions and all these sorts of things and he compiles them all together. You also have as well uh, the famous scholar Ibn Abdul Barr. He wrote a compendium of a hadith all about the virtue of seeking knowledge. I think there's over a thousand narrations uh, that are actually in this book. It was actually translated for the first time into English by our very own Imam at the Bosnian Islamic Center, uh, Imam Ansar actually. Uh, and it's self-published, and if you want to see them actually, if you go to Academy Alive, they're just sitting there on the, um, uh, on the, uh, on the shelves on the, on, the, on the side there. Um, and also if you go to the masjid and ask him as well, he'll kindly uh, give you a copy as well. And so this is translated to English actually, and you have all these different ahadith that are there as well. So that's in terms of the texts that are there. And I'm not going to keep enumerating them. Uh, we know of many of them. But I want to delve on one particular one and reflect on this in terms of motivation. The hadith is in Jami' Tirmidhi. The Prophet ﷺ said, it's a longer hadith, but in it, he says, That whoever finds a path and there's knowledge in it, and they're taking this path of knowledge they're starting this journey of knowledge. And I'm so inspired when I see the young people here, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, who have been coming so regularly, alhamdulillah, here to Faith Circle, alhamdulillah. We have this beautiful cohort that I see. And it brings me such a joy to my heart to see this. Because this is something that's a sign. What is it a sign for? I'm listening to all of you carefully. What is this a sign of? Allah says, مَنْ سَلَكَ تَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى Allah makes the path to Jannah easy for that person. And what a beautiful thing to start your teen years, to start your pre-adolescence in this pursuit of knowledge. Because as the years come by, you will find that the path to Jannah will be made easy for you. Now, it's not just for the young people, it's for everyone as well, alhamdulillah as well. And all of you that are coming, alhamdulillah, and learning and in any capacity. And when it comes to this, and I want to reflect on this, I, I, re I really want to reflect on this hadith. The one who takes the path to knowledge, Allah makes the path to Jannah easy for them. And I want to actually describe how. I want to describe how. What are the asbab? What are the means of this? We say this, we may have heard of this. It's not some kind of, uh, just a switch like, khalas, okay, Jannah is easy for that person. What does it mean that Jannah is made easy for that person? Number one point, number one point, in life, especially for the young people that are here, in life, you will face challenges, you will face obstacles, you will face hardships, you will face loss, you will face trauma, you will face 
extraordinary circumstances. You will face whatever it may be, things that you feel have brought you down to rock bottom. Why am I saying this? I'm not here to, to try and wish uh, you know, evil on anyone. I'm simply paraphrasing the ayah in the Quran where Allah Himself has said this. Allah Himself has said this. That, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصٍ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Allah Himself says this, that we will surely test you with fear, anxiety, paralyzing, uh, a grip, uh, you know, crippling sense of uh, anxiety and trepidation and terror about the future, uncertain circumstances, fearful about what's going to come next. Fear is going to be a part of your human experience. That is a part of the human experience. وَنَقَصِمْ Loss. Not just fear of the uncertain future and things seem very bleak and you can't see a way forward, but loss of what you have as well right now. We will all experience loss. Loss of what? وَنَقَصِمْ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ Wealth. We will lose people. And that is one of the hardest things. Those are one of the hardest things that people have to go through in this world. And for many people, losing someone can be the defining feature of their life. And their entire life becomes based on, uh, the entire life becomes based on the person that they lost. And the loss of fruit, famine, hunger, Drought and subhanAllah what we're seeing with the people of Gaza, what we're seeing with the people of Gaza today, the uh, uh, blockade of the food and the drink and the water and the hunger. This is not new by the way. If you actually look and you look at the studies done on the children of Gaza, most of them have a food disorder because of the starvation, because of the scarcity of that food. And so this is a part of the human experience. Now, why do I say this? This is a part of the human experience. Some people will take this trauma and it will take them down a dark path. It will take them down a path of faithlessness, a path of resentment, a path of agitation, anger, where this trauma literally consumes them inside. That is one path people can take when they're confronted with the tests and the trials of this world. But there is another path that people can take. And Allah says, وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Congratulations to those who are patient. وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Congratulations to those who have sabr. Now I'm here to tell you, when the person has ilm and the person doesn't have ilm, which is easier for that? For which person is it easier to be patient in times of hardship? It's the person with deep knowledge. It's the person who has knowledge of Allah's qadr. It's the person who has knowledge of Allah's names and attributes. It's the person who has knowledge of the purpose of life. It's the person who has knowledge of the seerah of the Prophet and all of the different things that the Prophet went through. It's the person who has knowledge of the struggle of the companions. It's the person who has knowledge of the ahadith of the Prophet The verses of the Qur'an, the huffad of the Qur'an, who can bring to their mind instantly the verses that will console them. Can you imagine, can you imagine your 
depth of your relationship with the Qur'an as you learn more and more the Qur'an and memorize it that when things go wrong you don't need to go to someone or go online or go on YouTube to try and feel a sense of inspiration and hope and sabr no, your knowledge carries you through your knowledge carries you through to those difficult times so that is point number one of how learning Islamic knowledge actually makes the path to Jannah easy because they make the musibah, the masaib, they make them tahawan, they make them easier to go through because the person of knowledge knows that this world is not the point of a person's life. They are very well aware of the concept of the akhirah. They don't need to be reminded of all of the ayat that are there. They don't need to be reminded of the names of Allah because they have a deep awareness and knowledge of them. Because they've invested. They've invested in times of ease and in times where things are good and they have the wherewithal within their mind. They invested in learning that which would enable them to get through some of the hardest, most darkest moments in a person's life. So that's the first way in which the path to Jannah is made easy because knowledge makes going through hardships easier because a person knows Iman bil Qadr. They know the idea of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's divine decree and His divine plan. Number two, so that was the first way in which the path to Jannah is easy. The second way in which the path to Jannah is easy for a person who learns Islamic knowledge. And this is particularly for a person who has deep knowledge of the ahadith of the Prophet who reads through collections of the Prophet The person who has knowledge knows the, I don't want to say deals, but they know the easier way to get more reward. They know the easier way to get more reward. Actually, there was a very beautiful anecdote from the Prophet with Safiya It was either Safiya or Umm Salama anha, one of the two. And uh, they had, the, uh, the Prophet had gone for Fajr and uh, that wife had uh, stayed in the home, prayed her Fajr and stayed up until Shuruq, so at least an hour or so, and constantly engaged in Dhikrullah. The Prophet comes out and she asked, he asked, what are you doing? And she said, oh, this entire time I was doing Tasbih and engaged in Dhikrullah. And the Prophet said, can I tell you of just one phrase that would have given you the entire reward for all of that? And he said, and I'll tell you this as well, Subhanallah wa bihamdi, adada khalqi, warida nafsi, wazinata arshi wa midada kalimati. You see, the person with knowledge knows, okay, khalas, I can say this one with sincerity and it will give me the reward that will be multiple. And they know in which situation is the most desirable thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so from this angle, the path to Jannah is easier for them because they know where to go. They know what are the actions that they should be doing. They know the efficiency. They don't burn themselves out and go all this way and everything like this. They are very strategic about their day. They're strategic about which days they choose to fast, which days they choose to do a qiyam al-layl, which du'as that they choose to do. These are the things that they become very strategic with and they're able to, of course, then attain Jannah in an easier pace than the average person who doesn't have as much knowledge. The third uh, way in which the path to Jannah becomes easier for a person and it's linked to this point but it's not as much knowledge of a hadith, it's actually knowledge of fiqh. Knowledge of fiqh. The person in fiqh is uh, the, the rulings, uh, the halal and haram, what is obligated, to, what's, uh, what's the obligation, the wajibat, the sunan, what's mustahab, what's makruh, what's haram. Uh, you know, all the rulings pertaining to salah, all the rulings pertaining to fasting, the rulings pertaining to hajj, and then the rulings pertaining to business transactions, ruling pertaining to dress, ruling pertaining to all these sorts of things. This is fiqh. I see this all the time, and, you, and, and this is the case. The one who has a deeper knowledge of fiqh, 
a deeper knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen, their practice of Islam is always much easier than a person who does not. Because they know, they have knowledge of what all the rulings are, what the evidences are, what the concessions are legitimately allowed to be made. And so they don't make things too difficult on themselves. And they're able to, they're able to appreciate, they're able to appreciate the difference in the ikhtilafat and the difference of opinion that the scholars have. And so learning more fiqh actually makes your life easier. You might think, no, I'm going to learn more rulings and they're going to be more binding on me. It's the opposite. The more you learn, the more you realize, wait a second, I thought that that was like, you had to do that. That's just, you know, sunnah. Or, hey, wait a second, I thought that that was haram. You're telling me that there's a difference of opinion here and there seems to be the stronger opinion that it's not. These sorts of things, a person starts to gain a greater depth of understanding of fiqh. Not that you learn fiqh to find easy ways out or anything like this, but it's the idea that people you will find culturally will make things hard upon themselves when it's not actually based on any sound evidence or any sound ruling actually. This is the third way in which learning Islamic knowledge makes the path to Jannah easier. The fourth way in which learning Islamic knowledge makes the path to Jannah easier is that the more a person knows, and this is particularly about aqidah and the beliefs of, of a Muslim, the stronger their heart is connected to Allah Azzawajal. And so their salah is more meaningful. Their dhikrullah is more meaningful. Their fasting is more meaningful. Their recitation of Quran is more meaningful. Their ibadah is more meaningful. The quality of the ibadah is more meaningful. And so when it comes to worshipping Allah Azzawajal, the one who has knowledge, the one who has knowledge, the one who has ilm, is the one that's able to worship Allah in such a way that their heart is present before the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salah. That when they're reciting Quran, they have such knowledge of the verses of the Quran, the Arabic language, the various concepts, the connections to other verses, their depth of engagement is a different level as well. The person of knowledge enjoys their ibadah. They enjoy their ibadah. It's not something that's just wrote, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this. It's something that they can actually enjoy because the entire ibadah system becomes meaningful for the person of knowledge. So I'll end it there with those four points in regards to how does seeking knowledge make the path to Jannah easy? Number one was, what was number one, guys? Number one was, it, yes. Easier to be patient in times of hardship and in life. Number two is, very good. You know the fadail a'mal. You know the virtues of the different actions. So you know what's the bigger bang for your buck to say. The third is, the deen becomes easier because you actually know the fiqh. You actually know what is required and demanded. And you know what is an obligation, what is a voluntary, and these sorts of things. Number four was, Excellent, ibadah becomes enjoyable and meaningful. And so, the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of ilm is the greatest investment that you can give in your life because it will facilitate the very purpose of your life. So that is the motivation aspect that I wanted to talk about. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us all in beneficial knowledge. Rabbi zidna ilma, Allah manfa'ana bima allamtana. Now, the second half that I wanted to discuss was the practical aspect. Okay, we're bought, we're sold, we've been coming every week, 
you're preaching to the choir. Now, what are the steps? What are the things that we can do in this regard? So, when it comes to learning Islam, and when it comes to studying Islam, we have to understand that there are two different levels and two different categories of seeking knowledge. And many people confuse between the two, which is why sometimes people are chasing the tail a bit. The first level, you can say, is the person who actually wants to become a alim, a scholar, a faqih, a muhaddith, a mufti, a mufassir, and wants to become an academic scholar of this religion and contribute to the proliferation of knowledge, to the production and creation of knowledge in the sense of writing and, uh, and these sorts of things. Um, that is one category and one level. And that's not something that's for everyone. And that's not something that's for everyone. The second is for everyone. And the second is everything that I spoke about as well. And of course, the first gets all of that and even more. The second one is for everyone. And that is learning, learning in particular, two things. They go back to two things. Whatever you're learning, it should be learning the kalam of Allah. Learning the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Learning the Quran. That is the book that is there for you. That is the book that is there for you. Learning the Qur'an. When we talk about learning the Qur'an, there are various levels and layers here. One layer of learning the Qur'an, which is important, is tilawa of the Qur'an. That is part of the experience of engagement with the Qur'an. Tilawa of the Qur'an. The Qur'an is not just an intellectual exercise where you can read the translations and engage in that way. The Qur'an is a spiritual experience as well that can only be accessed through the uh, that can only be accessed with proper tilawa of the Qur'an, proper understanding how to recite the Qur'an. This is the first base layer. And so for those of you who struggle to recite, for those of you who are not the most um, uh, um, uh, fluent in its recitation, then this is a time in these two months, make this a goal. Make this a goal that you will now join a program, find a sheikh, find a uh, online or in person or a person here. There are hafad here as well that I'm sure don't mind giving up some time as well to listen to recitation to help from the brothers and from the sisters. Tilawa is the first layer, okay? Another layer beyond tilawa. And that's the thing, people stop at tilawa and we think that's it. We send our kids to madrasa. We ourselves went to madrasa. We learned that base layer at tilawa. Khalas, that's it. No. That is not even close to, the, to, to being it. The next level after this is knowing the meanings of what you are saying. Knowing the meanings of what you, what you are reciting. And there are multiple different translations of Quran for those who don't know Arabic. But here's the other key here for this layer. Learning Arabic. Actually learning Arabic. Then the person is able to then understand the words that are being said. That's the second layer. This is something that I think is Something that every Muslim should strive for, learning the Arabic language. It's not about you have to learn so that you can speak like in these weird like uh, all these different dialects with people. No, that's not the Arabic you need to learn, how to conversate with your Arabic friend. No, you're learning the Arabic of the Quran so that you recite the Quran, you know. And the, Allah made learning the Quran easy. And there's a different level. You can actually know, the, recite and know what Allah is saying in the Quran without being able to actually speak Arabic fluently. That's a different level over there. So learning Arabic, I put here. And if that's not the case, then at least accessing a translation. But learning Arabic is important. Okay, first level tilawa, then learning Arabic. Now, the next 
layer, you can say, is engaging in what I would call, um, what is called tadabbur of the Qur'an. Tadabbur of the Qur'an. And tadabbur is different than tafsir. Tafsir is going to get to the next level. Tadabbur is something for everyone. Tafsir is not for everyone. Tafsir is for the scholar. Tadabbur is for everyone. Tadab so the difference between tafsir and tadabbur. Tafsir is, what is the objective meaning of this verse? Like, what is Allah saying in this verse? What, do these, what does this verse mean? What's the context? That's tafsir. And that requires high-level understanding of the Arabic, understanding of the context, knowing other sources as well in the seerah, and the, the, the rulings and these sorts of things, and being able to give the tafsir of this ayah. This ayah refers to these people. That's a tafsir. When you say, like when we were talking about, with uh, and we're talking about, Oh, when Bani Israel said, was, was told to, commanded to enter into the Qarya, enter into the city. You can't sit there and say, the city to me is Brisbane City because this, this. No, that's not the, the point. When it comes to learning that what is these verses mean and what the words refer to, that's tafsir. And that is a scholarly process. But now that you know what the words mean, the question of what that means to you right now, that is tadabbur. What this means, to you, right now. Two dimensions. To you, right now. The reason why I say that is because you can visit a surah, it will mean one thing to you at one point, and it will mean something entirely different at another point. You'll read a surah or you'll read an ayah, at one point, this is your reflection and engagement from it, and at another point, it's a completely different experience. I'll give you an example. Surah Tur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ did they create themselves? Sorry, were they created from nothing or did they create themselves? When I was in first year university, very big into the da'wah, I used to do street da'wah for like six years in the da'wah booth and all these things and debate with people and I'd do debates with Christians, all this stuff and atheists and whatever. To me, when I'm reading this verse, I'm thinking, wow, subhanAllah, look at this argument against the atheists, right? That's my reading of it at that time. Totally valid reading of it, right? That's, a, that's my tadabbur. Now later, when I read this, when I read this, in a different time in my life, What this verse speaks to me, the tadabbur is, the emphasis of this idea of, do you think you have to do it all alone? Like, do you think you have to do it all alone? Did we give you the task of creating yourself? Do you think there's nothing and no one behind you that can help you? And whatever difficulty that you might be going through, a completely different tadabbur at a completely different time in my life with different circumstances. And so the tadabbur is what that means to you now. And no one can challenge your tadabbur because the point is you're not speaking about the meaning of the verse. You are saying, what did this verse help you with? What did this verse give you a sense of strength from? You're not saying this verse means this. You're saying this verse did this to me at this time. That is tadabbur. That is tadabbur. And that is an engagement that everyone has to have. That's why Allah says in the Quran, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Do they not do tadabbur of the Quran or is their heart locked? Do you see the dichotomy here? This shows this is not just for the alim, this is for everyone. Do they not do tadabbur of the Quran or are their hearts locked and sealed? So this is an engagement of the Qur'an that's really important. That's the third level, okay? So tilawa, meanings, like just base meanings, and then tadabbur. 
Another layer, and this is the scholarly layer, is tafsir. And that is tafsir. Learning tafsir, going through. You know, subhanAllah, there's a tafsir series Imam Uzair is going through in Holland Park. They're almost done, subhanAllah. I, I was there this Monday. Uh, they had just finished um, Surah Lahab, I believe. So they're almost towards the end. But there's circles that go through tafsir. Uh, there are online lectures of people who go through tafsir of Quran and they give you the meanings, they give you the gems, the gems from the past scholars of tafsir, Arabic linguistic gems, balagha gems, um, you know, how it relates to different things and whatnot, all these different things, that's, you know, tafsir. And so that's another engagement there. This is not a stepwise fashion, such that the person who's struggling with tilawa is not allowed to attend a tafsir class. No. But this is something that there has to be input on at every level. And the lower it is that's not there, the more time needs to be put into that to then move on to the next levels. This is your roadmap journey to your engagement with the Quran. And this is absolutely essential for every single Muslim to engage with the Quran in this particular way. So that is Quran. So journeying of knowledge is a journeying of ilm of the Quran. The second one is learning about our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Learning about our Messenger This part is through Sira, Sira books, Sira classes, Sira series, uh, books of a hadith as well that are meant to be for people. I'll give you some names of them. So when it comes, because obviously the Quran is the Quran, when it comes to knowing about the Prophet Allah did not reveal a book on the life of the Prophet but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested the first generations to preserve, to record, and to be able to faithfully convey the message of the Prophet the life of the Prophet the character of the Prophet to the next generation such that 1400 years in a place called Brisbane, in the edge of the earth, we are able to access with vivid detail who the Prophet was to the extent that we can learn how many white hairs that the Prophet had in his beard So, in terms of books of Sirah, I will start with there are large books of Sirah, and then there are smaller books of Sirah. There is, the smaller books of Sirah are, and these are the English ones, there are books like by Martin Lings, uh, the Sirah, it's like Muhammad Wasallam in his life, you can just type Martin Lings. There is the book uh, In the Footsteps of the Prophet by Tariq Ramadan, Dr. Tariq Ramadan. Then there is a bit more academic, The Sealed Nectar, Rahiq al-Maktoum. This one like a Sirah prize actually in Saudiya. Now this one is like the one that everyone knows about. The translation is quite poor unless they've done another translation. And so it's not something that I would give to a non-Muslim, for example. A lot of people give the Rahiq Maktoum and if you look at the English, sometimes there's grammatical mistakes and a bit odd kind of English that's there. But it's certainly there and it's certainly an authentic book to be going to. Uh, but it's certainly not an easy read, like a nice story read. The other ones that I mentioned before are a bit better. The other one is Muhammad Man and Prophet by Adil Salahi, a very thick volume. Uh, but a very good one as well. And that one is probably the most detailed, but also the one that also reads in a very nice flowing way, like a story as well. Muhammad Man and Prophet by Adil Salahi. Uh, and then the last one is uh, the three volume by Dr. Ali Salabi. So not Adil Salahi, Ali Salabi. Um, and it's called The Noble Life of the Prophet. All this is translated into English. Um, and that one, again, very academic and will give you all of the different uh, uh, you know, narrations and the stories uh, that happen. It's not as much of that kind of nice flow, but that's like probably the most comprehensive resource of the Sirah. So these are the Sirah books. 
If you already have a good grasp of the sirah, go for the bit more of the higher volume ones, and you can go and learn from that. In terms of series, um, there is the series, of course, and he was here recently as well, uh, Sheikh Yasir Qadi, probably uh, the best series on the sirah in the English language. And obviously there's some things that people say about him and whatnot. That's fine. Beyond that, no one can dispute that this uh, sirah series is um, uh, the best that's available in the English language, uh, bar none. He's recently uh, actually put that into a book, uh, Sirah of the Prophet ﷺ, someone, not him, someone had actually put it together in references. So you can access it as a book as well. Um, and that's an incredible series of the Sirah, especially as an lecture component. It's a bit of a teacher vibe and you're going through. It's something that you can listen to on your commutes. It's something that you can have that's there that's really accessible. It's like 103 lectures, each about an hour. So it's going to take some time to go through it. He started it, I think, in 2011 and finished it at 2000 and uh, I think 15 or something like that. So it took him five years or so to actually go through that entire thing weekly. Um, and um, uh, there are some other ones as well, but this is probably the one uh, that I would recommend uh, for people. Um, so that is the seerah of the Prophet Now, I mentioned books of hadith as well. As for books of hadith that are catered to you gaining a sharper image of who the Prophet was, there are a few. Number one is, the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, uh, uh, compiled by at tirmidhi And for those who were there at the Karabi talk I gave on the Treasure of the Tradition, we did a whole book, we did a whole class on this book. Um, you can find it on sunnah.com. Sunnah.com has the entire compilation there, Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the entire one there, so you don't even need to buy it. I would recommend you purchase the compilations of hadith because it's easier to know where you left off. Because as you're reading it, like, oh, where was it? You lose the page and whatnot. And also, there's a reminder when the book is in front of you. When you're on your phone, the reminder isn't telling you to read this, the hadith. It's like telling you to read from your best mate saying, oh, let's go and let's go hang out here or do this or whatever. Who knows what your mate's telling you. <laughs> um, so I would recommend definitely getting uh, one of the books, actually a book compilation. Um, so that is Shaman Muhammadiyah by Tirmidhi. The second one I would say would be Adab al-Mufrad. Adab al-Mufrad. Uh, and this is a book of the mannerism of the Muslim. And it's, uh, I think it's over a thousand ahadith that are there. It's a quite a large collection. Uh, and that's also completely available on sunnah.com. Um, it's also available in multiple different prints with the translation as well. Um, there are, uh, so the ahadith, uh, they're not all sahih. This is, by the way, Adab al-Mufrad is compiled by Bukhari. Not his sahih compilation. This is a separate compilation he did for the average Muslim, Adab al-Mufrad. And so he includes some weaker narrations, because that's allowed in this genre. You're not deriving law, you're not deriving beliefs. It's something about good conduct and whatnot. So they're not the strongest per se. On sunnah.com, they have gradings based on uh, uh, different uh, of the muhaqqiqin or those who have done taqiq, uh, like Sheikh al-Albani, Anas-Zubahir al-Atayi, and, and others as well that are there. You, so you can see the grading there just for your own knowledge. There's certainly no fabricated narration or anything like that there that you'd need to worry about. Uh, so that's what I would recommend when it comes to learning about the Prophet ﷺ. These are the two things that everyone, there's no one with the exceptions, this is their journey of knowledge. Quran and the Prophet ﷺ. The Quran and the example, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Now, an average person as well can and should, I think, go up to that first level I mentioned, the scholarly level, as much as they need and a little bit to get a little bit from that. Why? Because as working professionals, as much many of us are striving to become, 
there is great value in an ummah that is highly literate in the Islamic sciences. In an ummah that knows fiqh at a basic level, that knows their aqidah at a basic level, that knows the general principles of usul and interpretation of Qur'an and these sorts of things. This is something that I think would be an incredible asset to any community. And we've seen it as well as you know, different groups, especially in Canada and America, where Islamic knowledge and the uh, organizations that provide it have been dozens and dozens in providing it. And so you have this generation of people who are very well informed about their religion, who have great knowledge of their religion. They're the ones, of course, with the money in their hands. They know which institutions to support. They make decisions for their families, decisions for their children that are in the best interest of the ummah as well. Why? Because they have that knowledge that's in the backing as well. So certainly taking a little bit from there, even if you're not going to become a scholar, but there and learning a bit more, it is no problem. There's no haraj there. But realize, little bit of knowledge, it's very dangerous. The crooning, uh, the, the, the something, the Kruger-Dunning effect, the Kruger-Dunning the Kruger effect that you guys know about, right? That the confidence and level of knowledge, so confidence is y-axis, level of knowledge is, is x-axis. At the beginning of your knowledge journey, your confidence is up here. Then as you learn more, it stops. So they talk about it like peak of ignorance, uh, willful ignorance, something like this, and then the bottom is the value of despair where you're like, you've actually learned enough to realize that you know nothing, and then you gradually come up with that and kind of temper out. So be wary of the Kruger dining effect as you come to learn. And just because you've started to learn doesn't mean that you become an alim and criticize everything that your parents have taught you and, and start to act like this, criticize the imams and say, you guys are doing this wrong and these sorts of things. Um, that's something that um, uh, is very important um, uh, to, to, to realize, to keep that humility there, to keep that humility there. So that's just a general bit of a blueprint, blueprint and a general bit of a guide for everyone in terms of their journey of knowledge for the upcoming summer. Goals for you guys to set for yourself. Make a goal. I want to go through one compilation of a hadith, one of the two that I mentioned. Make it a goal. Very doable, especially for Shamal Muhammadiyah. Very doable. Do it with your family. Say, okay, every time we pray Maghrib together, we're going to read through 10, 20 hadith, whatever it may be. Make a goal and make it clear with you and right now in your goal for the summer. Or, hey, I'm going to go through that Sirah series. Or I'm going to go through that Sirah book. Or I'm going to join a class of Tilawa. Or I'm going to join an Arabic class to learn my Quran. This is the journey that we all need to take. And you will get the fruits of it in this world. You will take from the fruits of it in this world. And as we mentioned, those four points. And of course, in the next, Mayal Skantala increases all in beneficial knowledge. And with that, we come to a conclusion, Alhamdulillah, of the fifth year of Faith Circle. Alhamdulillah. Jazakumul khairan to all of you. Jazakumul khairan to all of you. Thank you very much. <laughs>